0: It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, February 21st, 2018, and you're listening to God and Comics, the podcast voted by German monks to be most likely to get nailed to a cathedral door. On today's show, we discuss the life of Martin Luther as seen through the lens of a new comic book adaptation of his life. We'll talk about why Luther's life is still captivating even 500 years after the beginning of the Reformation. And we'll attempt to justify ourselves by finally reuniting Catholics and Protestants, solving all the issues that separate us in an hour or less, or else you'll get back every dime you paid for this podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Michigan. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you?
1: I'm the rector of St. George's Church in Schenectady, New York.
0: And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you?
2: I'm rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia.
0: And we'll uh, go ahead and move right into our recommendation. So uh, take it away, Father Kyle.
2: My um, recommendation this week comes in light of the fact that we're very rapidly approaching the 1,000th issue of Action Comics, and we've recently gotten the promise that um, Superman will very soon be returning to his original costume, red undies on the outside and all. They're taking Superman back, and they're also taking Batman back, but that's for another time. But this uh, recommendation is for uh, nine-volume graphic novel trade paperback series called Superman the Man of Steel. It's a collection of the John Byrne Jerry Ordway Superman comics from the post-crisis uh, DC Universe relaunch in 1986. They started out with uh, after the Crisis on Infinite Earths incidents at incident in 1985 in which DC kind of brought to an end all things DC and decided to collapse the multi-universe into one universe they began relaunching all of their superheroes and um superman restarted with a short miniseries called the man of steel that was written and drawn by john byrne and um that makes up volume one of this series and from there they quickly spread out into superman adventures of superman and action comics and um began to tell the story of his first days in at the daily planet his first time meeting perry white and jimmy olsen you know his first encounters with lex luthor and all of his classic villains and they reinvented some of them from where they had been in the past continuity and introduced some new characters along the way but all in all these are some very fun stories to read Um, simple stories not overly complex but they're all building in a great direction, adding many, many layers to the Superman character again. And um, part of the reason that I'm recommending it, not only that I've been rereading them a lot recently, but the Superman that is now to be had in DC Comics is this Superman. So this is a great way to get in touch with that Superman all over again and get back to his roots, especially as we approach that 1,000th issue and begin a whole new journey of Superman so I highly recommend go out and look for them. Some of them are a little bit hard to find right now the first three volumes are easily found on Amazon there's two volumes I think it's volume 4 and volume six that um, have gone out of print and are a little bit more difficult to find but they're definitely worthwhile tracking down if you have a good comic shop they may still be hanging around there and um, if all else fails, You can always do some research find out what comics are in those particular issues and pick up the individual issues themselves most of them at this point in time run $2 or less but I highly recommend jumping on on that they're ending the series it's it's ended at number nine, and it will be continued in an omnibus that's going to be released in a couple of months that's called um, Superman Exile and other adventures. So that'll pick up and carry everything up to the death of Superman. So you'll be able to read straight through from day one all the way through the death of Superman and, and beyond now. So I highly recommend going out and finding him.
0: All right. Good recommendation, Father Kyle. And now, before we get to the next segment, a superhero origin story.
2: Help! Somebody
1: help! My cat is stuck up in a tree. Help! I called the fire department, Father Kyle, but they said they could be many hours before they get here. And you know how sensitive Fluffy can be. If she's stuck in that tree for too long, her award-winning pelt might be forever scarred by exposure to the elements. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) sorry.
2: Oh, the humanity! Will no one save my cat from this arboreal body
1: of death? Wait, Father Kyle, what's that up in the sky? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's...
0: Superb Man!
1: Superb Superb man? Man?
0: Yes, Superb Man. I have the superpowers of an informed mind a deeply enriched spirituality, and a highly refined cultural palate, Plus, I can fly.
1: How did you get these amazing powers?
0: A radioactive spider was about to bite me, but I quickly swatted it to death with a magazine. Then I realized that the magazine was the Living Church. I started to read it, and lo and behold, I felt myself changing for the better. The Living Church includes all sorts of stuff, from theology to books and art to popular culture. You name it, TLC has it. Some of the best in-depth writing around is in the Living Church, and TLC covers the news of the Anglican Communion as well as ecumenical news and events that affect Christians of all denominations. The more I read, the more superb I started to be, until finally I knew that I must dedicate my life... To being a hero.
2: Wow, I bet a magazine that good must be pretty expensive.
0: You would think so, wouldn't you? But no, you can get a year of the Living Church every other week for just $55, or buy an online subscription for just $35. Just go to www.livingchurch.org and you can get your subscription today. Or check out the free Covenant blog at www.livingchurch.org slash Covenant. It's the heroic thing to do.
2: Well, do you think you can get my cat out of the tree then?
0: Fear not, Fluffy. I shall rescue you up, up, and
1: away. Wow. Look at that cat mauling him. And yet... He still seems to be keeping his cool, even as his eyeballs are getting scratched out. Now that's just, it's it, its just superb. superb.
0: And scene. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I couldn't get the Oh, the humanity out because there was some, <laughs> there's some scene in a movie where the guy's like,
1: Oh, the humanity.
0: That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going for there, yeah. That and of course, the arboreal body of death, which <laughs> no, you know, that was a good line. Which would be a great band name now that I think about it, Arboreal body there of you. death. Okay, we'll move now into our main conversation, and today's main conversation is about Martin Luther, and the reason for that is not only the fact that we just passed the 500th anniversary of the uh, beginning of the Reformation this past fall. But also because of a new graphic novel, graphic novel biography. Well, I guess it's not a graphic novel because it's it's uh, nonfiction. But uh, it's called a graphic biography, and it's it, the name of it is Martin Luther Renegade, and it is written. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna mispronounce these names pretty horribly. Uh, written by Dacia Palmerino. And drawn by Andrea Grosso Ciponte. That sounds good, right? Probably Ciponte. 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 I should say Ciponte. it with a with a ridiculously thick stereotypical Italian accent and then it'll then it'll come out just fine. Because they I, are in fact both Italian. Um, I,
1: I love Chipotle. <laughs>
0: Apparently, the two of them have done a number of graphic novels together, but this is the first one that's been translated into English and is being kind of marketed in English-speaking parts of the world. So, we're going to talk about the book and the way that it frames Luther's life and some of the things that connect therein, Uh, and I know all three of us have had a chance to take a look at it, so... Let's start with Father Kyle, and I'll just say, you know, of the three of us, of course, I think we've all had some exposure to Luther and to his writing, but uh, Father Kyle is the big Luther buff. He really uh, knows the Luther catalog forwards and backwards. If you want to do a Luther deep cut, you probably would go to Father Kyle before you'd go to me or Father Matt. So, Father Kyle, what did you think of Renegade?
2: Let me start with the aesthetics aspect of it first. I actually did enjoy the – it's a very – a painted style. I'm no good at describing these kinds of things, but um, it's a painted style of artwork, um, which I think has some very realistic elements to it. Um, So I I did enjoy that. I think visually it's a very nice-looking book.
0: Yeah. Oh, Um, You know, the the artist – just not to interrupt you, uh, but I will anyway – um yeah. the, the artist I found today looking some info up about him online he does this kind of speed painting and you can is find it
1: him
0: it's a him the the uh r- the writer is a, a woman but the uh, artist oh, okay. is a, is a man but there there are videos on YouTube of him doing speed paintings where he'll like within you know a short period of time just do A painting that looks very much like some of the paintings in in Renegade, you know, and you can kind of like watch him. It's sort of it's really impressive to see him do that that quickly. Mm. So,
2: oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that his artwork was really good, really enjoyable. As for the content of the book, the writing of the book, on a whole, I thought it was was okay. It was pretty good. You know, it's interesting when you look in the very opening of the book, who the book is, uh, or who the, the publishing company is owned by. The publishing company is owned by an organization, Bruderhof, which Plow, is a... The Plow Publishers, yes. Yeah. yeah, Plow Publishers by Bruderhof, who are an international community of families and singles seeking to follow Jesus together, who are committed to a way of radical discipleship in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. And... Um, you know in keeping with the early church they kind of renounced their individual possessions and try to live communally and so forth so in light of that fact i could see some elements of criticism peeking through the book uh, with regard to luther's comments during the peasant war and i also felt that there was um You know, this is always a touchy area of Luther's life. The end of his life when he was having some conflict with the Jews, I felt like it was heightened a little bit in this book. Those two things sort of put a tarnish on his character at the end of his life in in terms of this, this particular graphic biography. You know, they chose some elements of his wrestling with the assurance of salvation early on. Some of them, I think, were maybe a little dramatic in the very beginning uh, and they focused on that part in his combat with the roman catholic church of his day but then the second half of that book like i said it felt to me like it had a heavy element of criticism um, especially from the peasants war folks who i would think are probably kin to the bruderhof folks let's say that
1: you know, the the Bruderhof communities, I think, are explicitly pacifist, and and they're oriented. Yes, but they're definitely of the radical. Reference. Yes, I enjoyed the book too, and and when I first kind of Googled it and 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 saw some of the artwork, I was a little bit turned off, a little bit by the artwork. I didn't think it looked great, but after reading the book, I have to say that I completely reversed that early judgment. I think, uh, you know, I read this book electronically, like so I read it on my Kindle. And if you've ever read um, a comic book on, on an electronic device, you go, there's a smart panel feature, and it goes from panel to panel. And I thought that was a really effective way of reading this because it gives you a wide view of, of each panel, and it really is uh, pretty beautifully painted. There's some very dramatic use of light, uh in in his in his uh renderings, uh some gorgeous color. It's very almost cinematic in that respect. Especially, you know, looking at it on my screen and kind of flipping through it. It felt it felt cinematic. I also love some of the visual quotes and metaphors that, that he uses throughout the book. He draws from Hieronymus Bosch's uh, paintings, The Garden of Earthly Delights. There's some visual references to that, sort of some of that surrealistic imagery of, 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 of hell, basically, uh, or, or what people of Luther's day might have imagined hell to be like. And some of that was pretty captivating, I, I, you know. and, and I, I thought it did a good way of capturing some of the psychological angst that was behind the story the story itself i thought was pretty good i read the book in one sitting it's a quick read but it it hits some of the major themes and points of luther's life you know I, i think there's moments where you get a kind of fascinating look into his character i thought the scenes of him sort of in hiding uh under an assumed name and he's getting kind of lazy and he's tempted by the devil and stuff i thought that was pretty beautifully done and uh, as father kyle pointed out it isn't a hagiography it's not a a praising of luther i mean there it's it it presents him as a complicated real three-dimensional type person i enjoyed that aspect of the book and you know although yeah i mean you might you might want to nuance some of the criticisms a little bit um I think I think they were fair in a lot of respects, and so I, I enjoyed the book. I think it's definitely worth reading, and it's 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 a great introduction to the man and his uh, and his thought that the history behind it, especially.
0: It's hard to capture somebody's life, and especially somebody who was as complicated as Luther was, and whose own trajectory developed over time. You know, it's not like he came like Athena, fully formed out of the head of Zeus, right? Like his theology developed and changed over the course of his life. And as that happened, it affected the way that he lived. And I think one of the difficulties that I had with this book, um, in some ways it reminded me of the Luther film from... Uh, whenever that was, gosh, it's got to be oh, like 15, 20 years or at this something. point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, in that it's sort of like there was – it wasn't a hagiography, as as Father Matt said, but but it was a sort of like we're going to retell the Luther myth, you know. Um, not to say that it's presenting a bunch of stuff that didn't actually happen, but there there is this kind of Luther myth that I think – is presented a, one particular way to Protestants. If it's presented at all to Catholics, it's presented another way. But I think for a lot of Protestant Christians, it's really important to them to have this you know, particular set of events told in a particular way. For instance, you have this scene where Martin Luther, without any buildup to it, is suddenly sitting there reading the scriptures... And lo and behold, fully formed, his doctrine of justification just comes rolling out of him. It's the only time it's really addressed in the whole book is in this one page. But it comes right out of him without any work. And it happens before and and it's presented in such a way so that you think, ah, and this is why he then immediately went to the cathedral in Wittenberg and put up his 95 Theses. Which, of course, is not true on a number of levels because, you know, his understanding of justification develops over time. His ability to read the scriptures develops over time, you know. But also because the 95 Theses are not largely about justification. He doesn't even really mention justification all that much. They're about abuses to the system of indulgences. And quite frankly... As a Catholic, I can read the Ninety-five Theses and agree with, like most of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it's uh, now you know indulgences are their own topic, and uh, and you know, we could, we could sort of certainly discuss that, but it just you know it kind of missed part of the point. Uh, I thought another thing you know I'll give this book real credit for pointing out some of these sort of foul things, right? Like the things about the peasants and and particularly the anti-Semitic comments because those are the bits when I think about something like the Luther film that were completely left out. The, the, you know, There's a little bit in the Luther film, I think, about the peasant wars, but certainly nothing about his kind of response uh, uh, to it. But there's other stuff that's completely missing from here that i feel like is so important for understanding who luther was and the biggest one that pops into my mind and i'd be curious if if you guys would agree with this is we see luther in conflict with uh, the hierarchy of the church we see him in conflict with the radical reformation we see him in conflict with the jews we don't see him in conflict with other reformers And so, like, you know, for instance, the interaction between him and Zwingli and Uh his uh, the position that he takes in in relation to the sacraments, which becomes pretty central to, you know, I mean, I don't think you can really understand Luther if you don't understand how he thinks about uh, the Eucharist and and baptism.
1: Well, at least his you do get kind of a glimpse of his attitudes towards uh, the Eucharist, at least kind of. A little bit. I Like when when he's in Rome and he's receiving the bread, uh, you know, uh, from the priest, he's receiving the host. And the one priest says, it's just bread. And he's like, this is horrible. This is, the, you know, this is disrespect for the Holy Eucharist, you know. So you do see his kind of strong. I mean, it's not in reference to Zwingli at all. It's it's in reference to a kind of flippant and, and ill-informed priest that he meets in Rome but you get a, like a little bit of a glimpse of Luther's you know sacramental convictions there but yeah there are definitely gaps I, I feel like it's almost told from a kind of um, more of like a social like this is the way Martin Luther changed society or like or, you know this is the way he was like a rebel who stood up against the status quo, it's kind of told from that point of view more than an explicitly theological point of view. I mean, you, obviously you can't talk about Luther without talking about justification by faith and some of his theological opinions. But if people are looking for an in-depth look at Luther's theology, I mean, this isn't really... The place to go. Obviously, this is more of a narrative about the history, but there, there, yeah. are, there are gaps in the history. As well. It doesn't,
0: and it doesn't have to be a, a theological treatise either. I mean, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I just, I thought it was strange to have highlighted his conflicts with some groups and and not not others. But you're right. You know, they choose. They chose definitely the, to heavily emphasize the social stuff which left out some of the theological it also left out some of the personal stuff that they hint at beautifully but that i would like i i could have read a whole book about that just focused on luther trying to to wrestle with the death of his daughter uh-huh. right magdalena yeah. was that her name i mean, magdalena, I mean I, yep. see i didn't I, mean, I don't know anything about that and so like the little piece of that that i got was like tantalizing like that's interesting to me uh-huh. you know because that's something that, be a that really
1: powerful graphic, graphic biography. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's and it's something that isn't usually talked about much in the mythos.
2: I agree. I think what they did, and this is the one area that I saw as slightly problematic, is the things like the the Zwingli issue, as you pointed out, Father Matt. They did address that theological issue, but they addressed it in the context of his visit to Rome which is, as far as I know, more or less apocryphal, not a real scenario. So they sort of added elements to that story to try and bring some of the theological stuff that he dealt with and put it into other contexts. His visit to Rome, there's not a whole lot within the context of his writings about his visit to Rome other than the abuses that he saw taking place there were horrifying to him, much as they were to Thomas Cranmer when he visited Rome. Um, the abuses that, that he saw were you know, just astounding to him and, it, and the fact that he did go up up the stairs on his knees and so forth, that is very true, but the whole scenario of him having that interaction with a priest surrounding Holy Communion as far as I know and as far as I've read in Luther does not exist so they were trying to deal with the Zwingli issue, issue in that particular way and I much rather would have seen it dealt with you know, with Zwingli. Um, And it could have been
0: dramatic, right? It doesn't, it didn't necessarily need to be dry. Like, you know, just picture him pounding on the table and writing, this is my body, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like that's anyway.
2: Well, and that's what I think I felt like, you know, those two things at the end with the peasants war and the stuff with the Jews, just to me took up too many pages when they could have added other things about his life that would have been more important. That was my major critique Mm. of what they were doing there. It's not to try and push away from the fact that Luther was not a perfect man and that he was flawed and that he could say and do things um, that at times were not very helpful and perhaps even harmful. But at at the same time, I felt like it it unbalanced his character. I do think you're right, Father Matt, that what they were trying to do based on the title Renegade is present the social character of Luther. More than anything else, the kind of um, semi-political character of Luther. Yeah, how yeah. he changed the world in ways both good and bad, perhaps. Right. Well,
1: I mean, for for, for uh, an audience that's not coming f- with with theological commitments at all, you know, maybe maybe the, uh, the under church or the unchurch, completely secular. I mean, that's really the hook that sort of. Why, why, why should you be interested in Martin Luther? You know, well, I mean, he changed the world. He, he turned, he changed the course of history. He was, he was a rebel. A lot of people who don't have a dog in the fight of justification by faith or sacramental theology or, or whatever it is, really sort of say, yeah, Martin Luther. He's a fascinating character. He stood his ground. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he had this conviction. And you know, despite threats to his person, you know, there's that heroic—you know—here I stand. I can, I can do no other. I mean, that makes him a very appealing character. It's sort of the story of the modern world: the heroic individual who, who, who you know, speaks truth to power. And 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 for, certainly for an American audience, that seems kind of. Uh, Heroic, The enlightened, you know, kind of modern man. That's what draws people, I think. I
2: think it does. I think that it's also a danger when it comes to Luther. Because, you know, I, we, we've just gone through the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this past October. And um, even within my own congregation, uh, some of what I heard from people with regard to who Luther was was he was the guy who spoke truth to power, as you said. He was the guy who took on the system. And so for them, that was the only overriding characteristic of Luther. Well, he was a rebel. He, he was willing to stand up to a corrupt church. That's what they loved, right? He, he could stand up to a corrupt church and speak truth to power kind of thing. And I had to sort of pull back on that with a lot of them when I was doing a couple of weeks of teaching about Luther to say the real thing about Luther is that he was driven from a place of faith to correct not only abuses of power, but to correct theology that had gone wrong, um, to get back to the biblical roots. And for me, you know, as as someone who is deeply indebted to the Reformation, as, as Father Jonathan said earlier, the Martin Luther nerd of the bunch here, that's the important thing when it comes to Luther. and. Just personally speaking, I never want to see that aspect of Luther obscured by this kind of picture that, that modern Americans want to paint of. Well, he was just another, you know, radical fighting
1: the system. Well, or, or like, you know, a revisionist of some kind in Luther's own mind, you know, and, and whether he's right or wrong about this is up for debate, but he is deeply traditional. You know, he's saying, "You no, I'm not proposing anything new. No. I'm going back yes. to to what the early church taught, what was written in the New Testament, even going back to people like Augustine and, and, and recovering uh, their emphases." And you know, in fact, when you do have the more radical social folks uh, like Thomas Munzer, you know, he he's quick to put the kibosh on that for right or wrong there. Too, But, um, you know, you see some of his more conservative tendencies or traditional tendencies, I should say, when combating uh, some of the more radical reformers and and the antinomist and and stuff like that.
0: Uh Yeah, I I think um, I think you guys maybe you're putting your, your finger on it because it is interesting the way that Luther's story gets told. And retold and retold because you know, arguably, now he of course he had he was a major figure in making the Reformation happen. But he's he's certainly not the only one. And you know, I mean, Zwingli was his contemporary. He arguably had as much influence on the Christian world in some ways, as Luther did, in terms of, like, if you, if you trace the Christian groups that exist today back, you know, you're as likely to hit Zwingli as you are to hit Luther. Uh, and, but nobody tells the story of Zwingli's life. Nobody's like, oh, I remember when Zwingli did that thing when he was uh, caught in that storm. Nobody, nobody does, <laughs> nobody does that. He right.
1: ate sausages and lent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nobody tells it's, the story... It's
1: a powerful story. I'm sure it it's is.
0: Limiting. I'm sure it is. Nobody tells the story of Calvin, really. Nobody. A little bit with John Wesley sometimes, but of course Wesley's a later figure anyway. Yeah. Um, nobody, you know, not even Cranmer, Cranmer really. You Cranmer. know, and yet the Luther stuff is just so... And and some of it is you know I mean did he actually nail those ninety five theses to the door? Who knows? The the I mean he obviously wrote them, but you know the, the there's a certain amount of historical questionableness about whether or not he actually nailed them to the door. But we absolutely have to picture him nailing them to the door. Like that's super important <laughs> to the way that story is told. And I, I I guess I just wonder about that. Like why is that? Why is that so important? Is it just well, that I, individualistic piece of it? Or because of course, you know, you say, well, Americans need that, but this is not a book written by Americans.
2: Right. I think for I think what it is that draws people in with Luther, one, you know, Luther began his I don't even want to say his Reformation, because it's not his Reformation. He began the Reformation in some senses, right at the height of the printing press starting to explode. He was able to get his writings out in a way that was far-reaching and influenced so many people. I mean, Anglicans are deeply indebted to Luther um, because Luther was what gave, first gave them their shape. And, uh, and even Calvin's deeply indebted to Luther. You know, without, without Luther, there is no Calvin um, in some senses so i think it's because he had such an impact on so many of the different reformation movements that are there and because he was able to get his written material disseminated um, so quickly at the start of things unlike somebody like zwingli right zwingli did write, but zwingli's writings didn't get disseminated the way that luther's did so luther became a star in his own day i think that's fair to say that he was kind of a pop star within um you know western europe um, so that may be some of the reason why he has had such a large impact. And he just continues to linger because he is a bit of a fount that people go back to within Protestantism to draw from from time to time.
0: Can, can I suggest two other possibilities, one of which I think you might agree with and one of which I'm almost certain you won't? Sure. Okay. So uh, the the first one that I, I'm sort of sitting here mulling over is... I think, and I think everything that you said is correct, but I think that part of it may also be, you know, you do see this Luther story being repeated, not just by Lutherans, but by various types of Protestant Christians. And I think that for folks, I'm trying to think of what the best way is to frame this, for folks who don't necessarily have much room for the saints
2: Uh in their
0: theology, there still is this need for we need to see what the model looks like. And so having, you know, okay, here's Luther, and he's not exactly a saint. We don't ask him to pray for us, but we still, you know, it's like here, okay, here's the model of what the good biblical Christian looks like, which is part of the reason why the different groups of of Protestants are going to tell his story slightly differently because they want to see themselves in him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that do you think that any of that's fair? I
1: think that's absolutely
2: fair. I think it's fair. I would nuance it a little bit to say that we're I think we're always looking for heroes. Yeah. Right, we're always looking for heroes and that that one character that we can sort of put on the pedestal and um I think in that regard, yeah, I would okay. agree
1: with
0: you. So, uh, here's here's the bit that I'm that I'm uh, certain that you won't agree with and uh, so hopefully I'll provoke you to anger and you can um, you know, okay. then you can fire up the uh, Martin Luther insult generator and go to <laughs> town on me. Um I think that the other piece of this and I I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to make this observation, but I think that there is a piece of it also that has to do with the story of luther in many ways being the prototype story of how i keep i i hate saying protestantism because that that's that's such a like protestantism doesn't really exist right there's there are thousands of protestantisms um so it's an imprecise word uh, but The Luther story is the prototype in many ways of how the Protestant Christian understands what it means to be a Christian. In other words, how does the story go? Well, Luther was trying his best to be a pious soul, and no matter what he did, he couldn't get out from under it, and he was plagued by the demons of that. Uh, And then he read the scriptures, and the scriptures opened him to this, this idea of um, uh, that, that he actually didn't have to do it himself. And then that gave him the, uh, forthwith to stand against the tide of, uh, uh, those forces that told him otherwise. I think in, in, in a lot of ways that sort of is like the model then that gets presented for, uh, how the, how the Christian life is supposed to go. Like we, we, we try to justify ourselves for a little while, and we, you know, might get rip, wrapped up in this practice or that practice, and then eventually we realize that it's it's all garbage, and there's nothing we can do about it. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of rambling a little well, bit with this, but do you see yeah. where I'm going with that.
1: Well, and and it gets it gets right back into St. Paul too. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of times the way um we read saint paul it's almost like he was a first century jewish luther you know mm-hmm. but there's no there's no indication that yeah maybe maybe people would disagree with this but that saint paul had an awfully troubled conscience and he was trying to justify himself through works of the law and 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 never able to satisfy his conscience or whatever i You know, I I mean, he, you know, by St. Paul's own words, he was blameless. You know, Um, uh, Luther takes, uh, you know, some of St. Paul's story and appropriates it to himself. But um, I think, you know, we often read Luther back into St. Paul, uh, almost like the two become like, you know, twins separated by centuries or something like that. Uh, what do you think, Father? <laughs> yeah, b-
0: burn that house down for us, Father.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, Father Matt, I think your observation
2: about St. Paul is accurate. So I think that um, that that sort of existential angst reading of St. Paul is a much later reading of St. Paul, a much later understanding of St. Paul that I think you're correct. We don't see in the scriptures, right? Paul was fairly convinced that he was um, he was doing everything right. You know his persecution of the Christians was not creating him any anxiety because what he believed was that in his zeal he was doing what God wills and what the law commands, and that is you get rid of the infidel, right? So they're, they're destroying this um, Jewish faith, and therefore they must die. So I think that that's right. We shouldn't do that with St. Paul. We shouldn't read that back. Paul definitely, though, begins to recognize the distinction of law and gospel, and um, which is, you know, what Luther latches on with St. Paul and develops from St. Paul. But it's not only St. Paul, St. Augustine even had begun to develop a distinction of law and gospel that was nowhere near as in-depth as Luther's is. So I, I, you know, I definitely think you're right to point out our caution there in terms of just trying to read Luther's story back into St. Paul. When it comes to what you had said before, Jonathan, about seeing the kind of Protestant story in Luther. I, I understand where you're, what you're saying, and I understand where you're coming from with that. And I think we should be cautious to, in any circumstance, to not um, just assume that the story of one Protestant is therefore the story of all Protestants. I do think that, um, and I think we should be careful of trying to invent our own stories to sort of fit the mold of and you know someone like <laughs> Luther, which can happen, right? People tend to do those things. I'm, I think a lot of the modern American evangelical conversion stories always tend to sit fit the same mold, right? I was once this reckless, um, wild child, and I was just you know living crazy, and then boom, all of a sudden one day I went to the revival tent and. Um, and I gave my life to Jesus. And now... I,
1: mean, I mean, you hear people like, "Oh, I became a Christian when I was in kindergarten." And, you know, before that, I was really trying to justify myself <laughs> with my with my works. You know, but then I realized right. it's all by grace. You know, right.
0: When I built those I, blocks, you know, I was just I
1: didn't need to, I didn't need to co- always color in the lines. You know, and just like, trying to uh,
0: earn God's love with my Legos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, And I just find it a hard time believing that that's the, really the way it went down. But like, it's like the narrative we Im- impose upon it. You know? Yeah, and
2: I think we need to be careful of that. As one who grew up in the church, who was baptized at two years old, and I believe in baptismal regeneration. So I do indeed believe that the Lord saved me then and um, began his work in me. So as one who was raised in that circumstance, and, and for that, I think Luther would agree with me 100% in his own life, I think that what happened in my own circumstance is that over time, I got a muddling of understanding about what the Christian faith was all about. And this is the value that I think Luther has to add to this circumstance, is that we as human beings, and Luther's protege, Philip Melanchthon said this quite well, we're all opinio legis. We are all of the mind of the law, which means that we all have this tendency to wanna gravitate towards back back to the place of thinking that there's something we can do to appease God, um, something we can do to earn God's favor. And we do it in quite subtle ways. And we do tend to fall back into that trap of thinking to a certain extent that the the law can have some salvific effect in our lives. Um, So I think on that level, Luther's abundantly helpful in coming in to offer uh, a proper understanding of how things work, that um, faith sets us free to do the things the law demands, but we're not beholden to the law to try to earn our faith or to make our way to God in any way, shape or form. So yeah, that's, my response to
1: well said <laughs> yeah.
0: um, I, you know we, we, we could I mean we could quibble about all sorts of things right and if if that's if this was like some sort of theological debate, you know you go back and forth about well, I think it's yeah. this and I think it's that, and i I certainly don't want to do that. I will say that I find Luther to be a fascinating figure, um, I thought he was fascinating. Uh, When I was an Anglican, I think he's fascinating now as a Catholic. I look at his story in one light, but then I look at what he was grasping for theologically in another. And I think to myself, what is, you know, I mean, because there's a couple of ways we could go at it. Right. And, you know, one would be to say, well, here are the bits of this that conflict with the teaching of the church and that I think are terrible. Um, And, you know, there may be like a place for that. But I'm actually more interested in saying, okay, well, what has come out of this that has sharpened our game and brought us into a closer place? Um, And I think, you know, there are a lot of things that that you can point to. I mean, just the fact of, um, you know, I I can't go where Luther goes as far as, you know, uh, justification by faith alone. But I think we would do well if we talked about faith first in the Catholic Church. Um, I think we'd do well if we talked about grace a lot more than we do. I think that the way that the Second Vatican Council talks about Scripture and the importance of Scripture, and uh, by the way, this is a, this would be a good point for me to, to uh, point out that uh, there is an indulgence uh, available to any Catholic uh, for reading the scriptures. That's actually like one of the indulgences that you can get is for spending time with, you know, properly disposed, <laughs> opening your heart to the, to the spirit, reading the scriptures. But also just, you know, the idea of this needs to be something that, that that's in people's hands and that isn't just sort of like hovering above them somewhere. So I'm glad of all of that. I, I do find Luther, <laughs> he's fun and frustrating at the same time. Like he has these turns of phrase that are amazing. He's also kind of a jerk. <laughs> You know, like I mean, he's passionate. The, the, I guess yes. that's the that's the positive way of putting it. He's passionate, but you yeah. know, like like I remember uh, when I first read what's what is it I'm thinking of the 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 disputation on um, uh, the bondage of the will. The bondage with, of the will. Yeah, and who, yeah, with Erasmus. With Erasmus, right? And you know, you sort. I sort of would read the back and forth of that, and Erasmus would kind of like calmly like write all of this stuff out and then Luther would respond and there there was I swear there's a part in that document somewhere where Luther literally says that like he had to put the pen down and like bang his head on the table or something because he was just like so like what an idiot you are Erasmus
2: that wasn't even the worst one my favorite one in that book is actually you sir are serving and I'll use a polite word dung on a silver platter (laughs) that's right (laughs) you
0: know and you look at that and you go okay well now that that's not helpful but then uh but that is <laughs> but that is so like i don't know it's it's just it's interesting because it's in in some ways it's you know we haven't gotten that much farther from that in the way that we, <laughs> we engage each other yeah so
1: Martin Luther would have been a menace on Twitter.
0: Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? He would have been. You no, know, he would have been amazing. I would watch his YouTube show incessantly if he had one. <laughs> <But anyways. laughs> well, any any. Um, gosh, I feel like we should do a whole another hour on this. Maybe we will at some point. There's another Luther um, comic biography out there, so maybe. we will. <laughs> Um, There is. Concordia
2: has one, which I I was actually, uh, I was going to get it out and reread it, but I didn't have time.
0: Yeah. Well, Concordia, it's probably fair and balanced, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But any last thoughts that any of you guys want to get in, and particularly you, Father Kyle, uh, any thoughts uh, before we pull away from this?
2: no I so I'll, I'll give one plug I guess that if you know people want to really read a, a good Luther biography that's not that long to get a good balanced perspective on Luther which I think is a fair approach to his life James nestigan has written a book called Martin Luther a life uh, it's, you can find it on Amazon and I think you know I would certainly recommend that folks take a look at the comic book the renegade book that we um, you know we're talking about here tonight uh, but i think for a much fuller picture of luther's life with a little bit more theological insight that particular novel will do the job
0: well we'll put a link to um pastor nestigan's book i i, w- I would imagine that that's that that's very good i haven't read it but i've i've yeah. read other things that he's he's written that are that are quite lovely and heard him speak and uh you know and we'll put a link to um the relevant uh, sections of the catechism on uh, indulgences. <laughs>
2: Put a link to the bondage of the will up there as well. Ah,
0: yes. Tell us what you think. If you've had a chance to, to read Renegade, please tell us what you think of it. Or if you want to talk some more about Martin Luther or uh, the Reformation or... Uh, any of the stuff we've been talking about. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter at God and Comics. We do not currently have a Snapchat. Imagine Martin Luther on Snapchat. What would that be like? I can't even even fathom that. Anyhow, uh, but for now, we're going to move on to our final segment, This or That. This or That. This or That.
1: Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? So um, this one's for you, Jonathan. Superman, red trunks or no trunks?
0: I know that, that I'm going to get some hate for this. I, I, I kind of like it better without the trunks, with just the belt, with the red belt. I, you know, I love the classic Superman, but you got to admit it does look weird that he's got his underwear on in the outside. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I, I like the red belt, no turtleneck.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. The turtleneck yeah, no, has got to the go.
1: turtleneck's yeah. got to go. I, <laughs> I like their, <laughs> like those long gloves type. Yeah, that come
2: down over the top of the hand part. Yeah, yeah no. no, the new fifty-two costume was no good. Yeah.
0: I actually like the costume now. I think it's it, yeah, I mean, looks yeah, it nice looks now. good now.
2: Oh. I, yeah, I think I think next to the classic version, this is the second
1: best.
0: Or we could just go back to that black suit. That was pretty sweet.
1: Okay, um, so the next one for you, Father Cobb. Batman, yellow circle behind the symbol, or no circle. You know what? I'm going to say yellow circle
2: behind the symbol. I like both of them, but I definitely like the classic one. It's the Batman I grew up with, and uh, I have to give it that. I especially, let me say this, I especially liked the version and it was very briefly um, worn in the comic book. The version that um, Grant Morrison came up and Frank Quitely came up with at the end of Batman Incorporated, um, where it was almost Michael Keaton-ish. It was raised off the chest and, uh, and it had a glow to it. Um, that one I thought was really cool, but they, uh, they kind of did away with that. Although, that said, it's making a reappearance in Doomsday Clock. So, yeah,
1: I saw that. I saw yeah. that. Space Ghosts or Birdman, the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Did you watch those?
0: I probably did. The Hanna-Barbera stuff tends to run together for me. And actually, what I'm thinking about now is the Hanna-Barbera DC crossover stuff, which is probably more fresh in my head. I really liked the uh, Space Ghost Green Lantern crossover story that they did. So just for that reason alone, I'm going to go with Space Ghost.
1: Okay, here's one for Father Kyle. The Psalter in the current uh, Book of Common Prayer um, for the American Book of Common Prayer, the 1979 or or the uh, Coverdale Psalter.
2: Are you like reading my mind? This is really weird. So um, so I have... (laughs) This recently, I've been doing a lot of reading about the prayer book and the history of the prayer book. And um, let me let me just answer your question first, and then I'll explain it. I'll say the Coverdale version. I like the Coverdale version much better than I like the one that's in the back of the 1979 BCP. The one in the back of the BCP gets off to a very bad start uh, because it says, let me let me think of it. Blessed happy happy, happy is the man which um, completely destroys a Christian interpretation of the entire Psalter.
0: Well, happy, because... is, happy is the man is what it should say, but it actually says, happy are they.
2: Yeah, it says, happy are they. It should say, blessed is the man, or right. something like that, right? But the man has to be there because the man is Jesus Christ. He is the blessed one. And that sets the tone for the whole Psalter. Um, so it just goes, to me, it goes downhill from there.
1: But
2: interesting it's interesting because i've been reading uh, reading a lot on the um on the creation of the 1979 prayer book and i've been somewhat disturbed by what i've been reading but that
1: was one thing that i've been thinking about quite a bit i i like the coverdale it has a bit too many unicorns in it um <laughs> yeah which is just sort of kind of just ruins it for me. there's all kinds of unicorns. there's, there's some bad Hebrew uh, translations sure in the Coverdale. Um, some really just kind of silly stuff. but I mean it's often pretty beautiful. all right, all right here's one for, for Father Jonathan at the, at the mass, the peace after confession after the fraction.
0: I like it after the fraction. Better than uh, after the confession,
1: Father Kyle, Iceman, or the Human Torch? Ooh, I'm going to go with the
2: Human Torch. Um, I, I don't like some of the revisionist stuff they've done with Iceman. I liked Iceman as a character, especially loved him on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. But I, I kind of like Johnny Storm better. Black Canary or
1: Mockingbird?
0: Oh man. That's tough. So I would have up until whenever that was that the mocking the, that last mockingbird series by Chelsea Kane came out, I would have easily said Black Canary. I never actually thought Mockingbird was that interesting of a character. She seemed sort of indecipherable from other characters like her. But then that Chelsea Kane series was just amazing. I think I still have to say Black Canary, though, just because overall, like, I have a longer history with, with Black Canary. And, but, yeah, people should definitely go read that Chelsea. Have you guys read the Chelsea Kane Mockingbird yet?
1: I keep me. I keep meaning to because you you become so highly recommended.
0: What what are you guys doing with your lives if you haven't read? It's on it
1: unlimited, right? So I. Yeah, oh
0: yeah, yeah,
1: It's it's in my
2: queue with the seventy other comics that I've got in there that I'm um, trying to whittle down.
0: I finally got it under three hundred the other day. I was very proud of myself. Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't feel so bad now. Yeah. So this one's for for Father Kyle, Doomsday Clock. If fun take on on some beloved characters or uh, abomination <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'd say it's a fun take on some beloved characters i actually am enjoying i've i've read what are we right now like the third issue so i think i've read two out of the three the other one's still at the comic shop but
1: i kind of like where it's going and i, I I, I think it's awesome, and it's, 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 it's like I feel bad for thinking it's as awesome as it is. <laughs> yeah. now this is... It's, a, it's, a, it's an abomination. It's a total travesty, but dag, is it a really cool travesty? Oh, I mean, it's Jeff
2: Johns, and um, oh gosh, he's my favorite uh, artist. What's his name? Um, Gary Frank. I yeah, I can't be see that, where it though. goes, but it's. Re- I, I
1: love every issue so far. It's so really is good. is this
0: the book that's finally sort of making that connection between the Watchmen characters and the? Yes, okay.
2: it's set one year in the future from from current DC. So it's um, kind of where things are going.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I haven't read it,
2: but it's worth it.
0: That's going to do it for our show today. Be sure to go to the show page at godandcomics.com to check out links to some of the rad stuff that we talked about in today's show. You can also download the show there or give it another listen. You can subscribe to God and Comics through iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. Please, please. It would mean a lot to us. Uh, we really would love you to do that. It helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who lets his wife know what he wants for dinner each week by nailing the 95 items on his grocery list to the refrigerator door. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Jonathan Michikin.
1: I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg.
0: And we'll see ya.